this is like a special mass in the church of Sunday podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a special episode of Wheel Bearings. Um, we're talking about the Mustang Mach-E. I am Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul-Samit from Guidehouse Insights. And Rebecca Lynn from Rebecca Drives. So, yeah, there's an electric Mustang that's not a Mustang, but an entirely new signpost for Ford vehicles to come from what it sounds like. Um, and they're keeping it kind of under wraps or they've kept it kind of under wraps. But now we can finally talk about it. Um, so let's let's uh, let's talk about it. What's the sort of biggest let's start with the number one kind of takeaway. Um, what's the biggest impression that you've wanted to tell people that you've had to kind of sit on um, about this, the, the Maki. And, and Sam, I, I guess it's, it's kind of directed to you because I think Rebecca and I are on the outside looking in and you've had a little bit more access. Yeah, yeah. he's actually driven it, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah, I actually had the chance to drive it a couple of weeks ago uh, over the past uh, what, three weeks, I think. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be in a, yeah, about three weeks since I drove it. Um, Ford's been doing uh, a, a tour. They've been doing some regional media drives around the country uh, because what's going on with COVID, they're limiting the number of people at each event. They're not rather than uh, they're only if only a handful of people are flying in. Most people are um, are local that are getting to drive it. And so I drove it here in Michigan um, and I found that it is more in, in, in a lot of ways, both more and less Mustang like than I expected. Uh you know, I, I actually I had the opportunity to ride in one last year at the LA Auto Show when they first unveiled it. They did a, a big backgrounder event uh, there in LA um, at uh, the Hawthorne Airport, which uh, is happens to be also you know adjacent to uh, a little uh, rocket company called SpaceX. Yeah, it was a great middle finger to that. <laughs> oh yeah, um, you know, and when when they when they did that event, you know, there's this big hangar there um, uh, at the airport which uh, in the past has been used for all of Tesla's uh, product unveils. That's, that's where Tesla does their big shows when they unveiled, you know, the Model X and then the Model S. Or the, actually, I don't think they did the Model S there. Maybe they did. I can't remember. But they did. They certainly did the Model 3 and the Y and the Roadster and the Semi uh, all at this place. This big hangar that's, you know, on the other side of the wall from that hangar is the SpaceX factory and offices. And, you know, they took us for a ride. You know, we went out from the, the hangar, drove out onto the road, basically around the entire factory, 
you know, so we got to see, you know, the first Falcon that they actually successfully landed uh, after a launch. Uh, it's it's parked there in the corner in front of the building. And uh, I, I like to think that, you know, Elon was sitting there in his office looking out at us as we drove by fuming. Uh, but, you know, so I had, that was my first opportunity to ride it. We didn't get to drive then. But, you know, we could we could tell that there was something there was something good there. Well, and, I think you're going back and reading your your, your piece on Forbes about it. Um, your impression that it's more it's Mustang like and not Mustang like uh, was something you noticed then, too. So that seems like it's a, a sort of through line uh, through the whole process or through the whole program. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was uh, it, w- it was an interesting decision on Ford's part, you know, to to call this a Mustang, you know, because back in January 2017, you know, I, I distinctly remember this because I was actually boarding a plane um, to fly to CES and I got a notification on my phone as I was standing in the aisle on the plane waiting to get to my seat um, about uh, a press conference that Ford was going to do that morning, you know, like two hours later at the um, uh, the Flat Rock assembly plant where they build Mustangs. And it you know turned out later that what they had announced, you know, Mark Fields was still yeah, Mark Fields was still the CEO then, and they he announced that they were going to build uh, a 300-mile crossover, 300-mile range crossover EV, and it was going to be produced at Flat Rock alongside the Mustang. Uh, and obviously, some things changed um, after that. Uh, a few months later, Fields got fired. Jim Hackett was brought in, and uh, you know, one of the things that Hackett did fairly early on, you know, they started started off when he first came in, basically reviewing all of the programs, all the product programs at Ford. Some were far enough along that they couldn't really make any significant changes, like the Explorer program. Uh, but others, like the Mustang, like the like this electric crossover, were still fairly early on, and they created this idea of Team Edison. Um, this, this put together this group <clears throat> that something that hadn't really been done at Ford before, which was, uh, or at least not, not quite like this, uh, to take a, you know, they, they knew that they were going to be introducing some new technology and they put together this team from across a variety of different functions from engineering and marketing and, and um, manufacturing and, and everywhere else, you know, to look at how do we actually make a business out of a viable business out of selling EVs? Because that's something that really, except for sort of Tesla at that point, nobody had really done is create a successful business uh, out of EVs. And, you know, they they looked at all kinds of things. And they, they obviously took a lot of lessons from Tesla. And, you know, one of the big things they, they figured out was, okay, if we're going to sell EVs, they need to be appealing to customers. <laughs> they, you know, it can't, it can't be something like, you know, like the Focus Electric, uh, which was, you know, they took a, a standard Focus and they jammed a bunch of batteries into it in an electric motor and, you know, created something that, yeah, it was electric and, you know, it was, it was okay, but didn't get anybody particularly excited, you know. And so how do they build a business, you know, out of producing and selling EVs? And, you know, they, they looked at what Tesla did and, they basically brought in all, you know, everything that Tesla, everything they thought Tesla had done right. Uh, you know, cause at that point, what they had was a design for a crossover that was a lot like an escape, but battery powered. 
instead of internal combustion. Yeah. Uh, and they they scrapped that whole thing. Yeah, you know, they obviously kept some of the technology that they developed, the battery systems and the motors and things like that. But they scrapped the entire vehicle program. They went from what was a front-wheel drive electric crossover, um, which in a lot of ways is very much like what Nissan's launching next year with the Aria. And they said, okay, we need to create something that's going to get people excited to buy this thing. And they decided, okay, we're going to do that. What's our most exciting brand, our most exciting icon? Mustang. How do we make a Mustang that is electric and is going to appeal to people that like performance and style, but also, um, you know, maybe want something a little different from a traditional Mustang? And what they came up with was the Mach-E. So, um, Rebecca, you're the analyst. Um, it This, to me, like what, what Sam is recounting um, – while it's being kind of presented as a revolutionary shift in, in thinking for an automaker, and it, it may be, but it also seems like kind of obvious to me on the outside looking in, and you're, you're used to looking into other companies um, on a regular basis. So, like, you know, putting a little skunkworks team together, like a platform team, that kind of seems to me like the way I imagine product development happens anyway. So, Clearly, I misunderstand how that happens, but also like um, the idea of they went from grudgingly building a thing to yeah. saying, wait, let's let's you, you, this is like a, a blueprint for successfully selling anything. Right. Like make a thing people want, make it easy to use and make it special. <laughs> like, right. I mean, a lot of what he described reminded me of what GM did with Saturn mm. years ago, decades ago. Yeah. Right. It's the same idea. Pull them out of all the bureaucracy and the constraints and the processes of a legacy manufacturer and just let them go. Let, you know, free reign on creativity, a non-judgmental zone, you know, just being able to to brainstorm and free think and what if, you know, just endless what if scenarios. What if this? What if that? I think that. One of the major errors that we have made as an industry is to not understand that an electric vehicle is not a substitute for a car. It is a technology device. And understanding the technology adoption curve is absolutely critical. And we looked at this back in uh, 2012 through 15 when we did the National Academies. Uh, barriers to electric vehicle deployment. And I have to give a shout out to a professor there, Jackie Moore from the University of Montana. She's super smart on this kind of stuff. And she was one of the, another committee member with me who uh, we wrote the, the chapter about consumer adoption. And you've got to understand the mindset of innovators, which is only about one to 2% of, of, people's mindset on a general basis. This is not confined to the U.S. But this is just in general on a global basis. And then you're looking at early adopters, which is actually like maybe two, three, four percent. I mean, it's really it's pretty, you know, I think we're up to like maybe 11 percent when we get when we combine the two. So it's a small percentage of the population that are looking at buying an EV. And you've got to respect that. You have to respect that they are different than mainstream. 
And so I think that this was a really smart move by Ford to do this. And more companies need to do this when it comes to product planning. More companies need to hire futurists. You know, Ford has a great futurist named Cheryl Connolly, and she's been there forever. And do you know how big her team is? One, One. simply her. <laughs> Cheryl Connolly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, – and it's it, – it was interesting listening to your interview with Hao Tai Tang, uh, Sam. Um, the the things that he said, and we'll, we'll obviously put that in, but um, the things that he said about how they found success really reminded me of how the the original Taurus found success. It was like yeah, we we just got a bunch of really smart people from different disciplines, put them in the basement, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. let them go. Um, and you know that's. I, I think that's almost when Ford does its its best work, and I, I feel like we've kind of kept people waiting a, a little. So bit if you work too. at Ford, if they tell you to go down <clears throat> to the basement, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> well, it could go it's two not, ways, it's right? Not, it's yeah. not like being built in an office space. You know, when they move into the basement, that's your opportunity to really do something yeah. special. You've got a fifty fifty shot. You're either coming out alive or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and just to clarify, I'm sorry, just to clarify, I just want I pulled it up. So innovators are two and a half percent, early adopters are thirteen and a half percent, and then early majority is thirty-four, and late majority is thirty-four of the technology adoption curve. Just so we just so yeah. our listeners I, So you're talking about fifteen percent of the population. And you are we we're probably somewhere between those early adopters and early majority right now. Well, to to give you an idea of where we stand right now with EVs in the US market, so far through the end of November in in the U.S. this year, EVs, battery EVs, represent 1.6% of sales. That's better so than it we're, was. we're not even out of the innovators yet. You know, we're, exactly. We're, we're, ba- we're huh. you know, barely halfway through the innovators. That's well, and, and hybrids and traditional hybrids, like, you know, full hybrids like the Prius, we're still in that single digit mm-hmm. range. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? So 96% of people are picking something else. They're picking internal combustion engines. See, it's interesting because I feel like the the purchase decisions and the, the or the purchase behavior is lagging um sentiment. Uh everybody loves EVs. Everybody wants to talk about them because they're they're kind of cool and slick and you know anytime people find out that we write about cars, you know, they want to talk about what's the newest stuff out there. So they they want to ask, you know, what do you think of Tesla and you know, how about the the new whatever ev is in the news lately you know the lucid air or you know something like that that's a constant source of conversation now so it's it's interesting that they haven't really tipped over into buyers yet but i mean interesting in the sense that like there just probably isn't product there for that well Well, the the right the right product isn't there right ford's going to change that though right And and that's that's exactly what ford's trying to do is you know the right product but there's also a whole lot more especially around evs you know, I mean, with, with internal combustion engines, uh, you know, the vehicles that we have, you know, there, there's some, co- you know, common elements, you know, regardless of whether you're talking about a subcompact car, or a sports car, or a full-size truck, you know, they all use an established infrastructure. And, you know, coming up with a, a different product, um, you know, a different product variation within that spectrum of, of vehicle types is one thing. But what Team Edison had to do, you know, as part of that, how do we build a successful EV business was also look at how, you know, they, they tried, they looked at all the aspects of what it's going to take to transition from ICEs to EVs. And, uh, you know, a big part of that is charging. You know, how, how do we 
you know, what they, they looked at all the pain points for consumers that, you know, are considering EVs. Charging is obviously one of them. So is the retail process. You know, last on the, you know, the last episode, we talked about uh, GM, you know, and how they're going to handle uh, sales of the Hummer, you know, by basically doing that all online and the dealer only comes into it at the very last stage, you know, as, as part of the development process. And this is actually, this is part of what Ford has done with, with the Mach-E. So when you, when you, if you want a Mach-E, I, I don't think Ford is going quite to the same extent of, you know, no inventory for dealers, no allocations. Um, but, you know, right now, if you want a Mach-E, you go online and order it. And, you know, you put in your location, you, you select a dealer nearby, you know, that's going to handle the, the delivery and service and everything. So that's, this is the first time that Ford has done the online sales model. So with, to, like, yeah. yeah, I think, remember how, how, I'm sorry, how Chevy put one volt at each dealership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Ford actually, you know, eventually, you know, once they have sufficient inventory, will have uh you know they will have some Mach-E's at dealers but initially it's you know it's going to be you know cars going from the factory to the dealer straight to the customer that's uh, um so from a dealer perspective that's hostile it's it, it, it's hostile from for the dealers but at the same time you know what their their focus is on is on the customers because one of the things that we've heard, and I'm sure you've heard this many times over the years, Rebecca, is you know people that want that actually want to buy an EV going into a dealership, and this is this is a big part of why Tesla decided not to do franchise dealers, and why a lot of other startups are not doing franchise dealers. You know they when you you know when you've got a dealer whose business relies on you know trying to upsell you and you know getting service contracts and all this other stuff. Uh, they they have traditionally been very reluctant to actually sell EVs to customers. Uh, you know, people go in. You know, we've we've heard all kinds of reports over the last decade of people going into a dealership and saying, "I want to buy that Volt, or I want to buy that Leaf, you know, or whatever else it might be, or 500e." And the the salesperson pushes them over towards, "Oh, you should buy this SUV instead, or this car," you know that they might have a higher profit margin on or, you know, expected or do, more repairs more, or more service. service. Revenue. <laughs> um, and so I think this is, this is part of how manufacturers are trying to both work with their dealers, but also get past that problem. Uh, and actually, you know, in, in a way the pandemic has actually worked to their benefit this year because people still need to buy cars, but, you know, doing the online sales, people have gotten more accustomed to doing the online sales and they've actually moved, the, they've, they've moved the dealer network towards the online sales model and that minimal contact, uh, in a, you know, transaction. Uh, so I think it, it's actually worked to their benefit as we move into this EV era. And so this is, this is going to help. And then, you know, the other side of that is the charging component, you know, trying to take the friction out of charging. That's, that's the other big complaint that consumers have is how, how are they, how are they going to charge these things? And so Ford is actually uh, the first manufacturer to roll out an EV that has this new standard called plug and charge um, that uh, it, it's a, it's an ISO standard. Uh, I think it's 16, 558 or something like that. 
Um, I love how it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It's, anyway, it's, it's called Plug and Charge. I can't remember my phone number. Um, and Electrify America is the first charging network to deploy it fully across their network. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you think back, you know, 10, 15 years ago with your cell phone plan, you know, if you went, you know, outside of where your carrier had coverage, you know, you ended up roaming on somebody else's network. And it, it used to be, you know, a big hassle, you know, to just roam on another network. But with plug and charge, it's going to make it a lot easier. And so what you'll do when you have a car that supports plug and charge is when you get it, you will set up your, uh, you know, there, there'd be an app in the vehicle. In this case, you know, the Ford Pass app, you know, and uh, even even before you take delivery, you know, when Ford will contact owners, you know, you create your account, your Ford Pass account, and as your car is built and it's getting ready to be delivered, you can put in your payment information in there and pair your phone with the car before you even get it. Uh, and then, you know, when it's, you know, when you get your car and it's time to charge, you just pull up to a charger, plug it in, boom. You don't have to mess around. You don't have to touch the screen. You don't have to find your little... Uh, dongle your little NFC um, or RFID card, you know, from ChargePoint or EVgo or whoever, and tap it on there. You just plug it in. It communicates with the car, authenticates it, uh, and charges and 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 does the payment automatically. And so these are the sorts of things that Team Edison did. Uh, in addition to the actual product development, is all the all the other ancillary stuff around. An EV ecosystem that makes it more challenging to own an EV. So, I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. <laughs> I was just going to, um, you know, sort of move us to. We've, I think we've we've talked about a lot of the sort of around the. We kind of walked around the car, you know, like we've we've talked about a lot of the issues, but I I, I want to make sure that we we talk about how it is to drive. So I, th I feel like we got you a little <laughs> sidetracked. Um, and, and so this is all great. These are, this is good thinking uh, about how to actually use the thing um, once you've <laughs> bought it, but what's going to make people want to buy it? How does it, how does it drive? Cause the last, you know, we started off talking about your ride in the prototypes. Um, how about your ride in the, the production? Are, are they pilot cars? What did you, what did you actually no, drive? These, these are, these are production, production cars. Uh, they've, they've been, they, Job one was, uh, I think, October 26th. So by the time you hear this, you know, they will have been in production for about seven weeks. Um, you know, <clears throat> vehicles are on trucks, uh, on trains, on boats being shipped to dealers, both uh, here uh, across North America, as well as, you know, they're, they're, we've already seen photos of Mach-E's on boats uh, to be shipped to Europe. Uh, so, you know, they, they're, they are in production. Um, the and and probably by the time you hear this, um, first customers will have received their cars or or be within a couple of days of receiving your cars. And so, how are they taking delivery of them? So the the original plan for deliveries was you know you'd go down to the dealer and and you pick up the car, they hand over the keys and 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 then you drive off. Um, I think you know with what's going on with COVID, you know it's probably going to be more like. Um, you know, it's probably going to be a mix of that, uh, and, you know, some of what they've been doing all year long, 
with, you know, maybe having dealers actually deliver the car to your home, you know, do a contactless handoff, okay. that sort of thing. But they thing. are running through the dealer network, yes. just to be so clear. The, so okay. the, the actual dealer, the actual final transaction with, you know, the delivery is being handled by a dealer. Okay. Um, and, you know, so all of that stuff is, you know, as it traditionally has been or. or okay. And so now been. back to Dan's original question. What's it <laughs> yeah. like to drive? Yeah, I was just <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, uh, uh, just a, a few things before I get into that, you know, the, the vehicle itself. Oh, we're going to keep you waiting. Well, oh, no, I mean, this is, this is, set, this is set, setting it up. Okay. So as, as I was writing up my report on this, I went back and I pulled up the, the specs, you know, because one, one of the things you notice when you walk up to the thing is despite it being a crossover, it's actually not that tall. You know, I mean, it's compared to a traditional Mustang. I yes, can relate. It's, it's tall. Yeah, but but it's, it's I look much taller on TV. Yeah, but it's you know it, it's not uh, you know like compared to an, the closest thing in the Ford lineup today would be the Edge, you know their midsize crossover, and compared to the Edge, you know this thing is uh, what six and a half inches lower the roof line. Yeah, because the Edge is large. I mean, I when I saw the Maki at the LA show, it didn't. It didn't remind me of the edge. No. The edge is so much Yeah, sorry. It's larger. It's, so the roof line is five inches lower than the edge. Um, the ground clearance, you know, so this is not an off-road SUV. You know, the ground clearance is 5.7 inches, uh, which is less than half an inch more than a Mustang Coupe. Uh, yeah, because the sport truck, I think, is like 8.7 or 8.9. Yeah. The Subaru Crosstrek, so, just for perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, you do sit up taller than you do in a, in a traditional Mustang. Um but it's not that much, uh, you know, so it's two and a half inches lower. You know, the ground clearance is two and a half inches less than an Edge ST. And is this is the battery pack flat on the bottom? The, the battery the pack is flat, flat under the floor. So there's a okay. flat floor inside the cabin. Uh, it's okay. a five seater. Um, and, you know, you, you get in, you know, you, you look at it, you know, they, they've done a really good job, you know, from a design wise, I think, you know, trying to. Uh, imbue it with mustang design cues you know like the, especially you look at it in profile um you know they they've done you know the two-tone thing with the with the roof you know when you actually look at where the roof is it extends back horizontally a little further than you might expect but the way that they've you know the body color paint you know gives it that sleeker fastback look more like a coupe um but inside in the back seat you know i sat in the back seat for a bit um at the event you know as we were getting a walk through on the sink four infotainment um you know i'm 511 i had lots of headroom in there lots of legroom so i mean this is this is easily a five, five passenger vehicle um, yeah cuz it doesn't look like you would yeah no it doesn't but but it's it's got lots of room back there uh so driving it you know the the standard configuration the base configuration is rear wheel drive instead of front wheel drive like they're originally planning and then you can get a dual motor all wheel drive setup um and the standard battery pack is like 78 kilowatt hours and then 98 kilowatt hours for the extended range um the the we drove two different variants you know they had an autocross course set up where we drove the rear wheel drive standard range model and then for our road drive we used the had the first edition which is extended range all wheel drive and um, they did, I think, a really amazing job, really kind of giving this thing a Mustang feel. Uh, you know, the the way this thing responds, you know, when you're cornering, you know, you can with, you know, uh, you know, modulating the accelerator, 
you know, you can, you can get the attitude of this thing to change. You know, you can, you can actually get the back end to come around a little bit. You know, if you lift off <laughs> you know, as you're going into a corner. Can you drift it? Uh, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> I, I don't, I think with the base model, I don't know that you could drift it. I think when they get the GT next summer, yeah. I think that one you, you probably will be able to drift. You probably have a button, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> most likely. Mode. You know, the, yeah. Irresponsible. Um, but, you know, with, with, the, with, with, the rear, with the rear drive version, I mean, you can definitely get the back end to come around pretty easily. And so it, it's, it feels really responsive. Um, you know, and then on the road, you know, with the all-wheel drive version, uh, the, the, you know, again, you know, it, it feels really good. You know, the, the all wheel drive version has a more powerful motor in the rear, you know, than in the front, um, for, for the current ones that are available. When we get to the GT next summer, uh, it will actually have the same motor front and rear, and that's going to be like 480 horsepower total, uh, between the, between the front and rear. I think it's uh, like 360, uh, for the versions they have right now that they're, that they're launching with. Um, and then 260 for the rear drive version. Um, you know, so it's, it's rear, you know, rear biased, you know, uh, in terms of its torque delivery and, you know, clearly it's not, uh, you know, it's not a sports car, but it is a lot of fun to drive. You know, they, they did a great job, you know, and last year in LA, I, you know, I talked to, uh, Dave Parasek, who is the director of the icons group at Ford. Which and the, the Icons Group is uh, the group that is responsible for Mustang, Bronco, and GT, and uh, you know, and so that means Mach E is part of that because it's part of the Mustang family. And you know, Dave, Dave was uh, formerly the uh, chief engineer, so you know, two two former Mustang chief engineers that were a key part of this. You know, how as the global head of product development at Ford now, and uh, Dave as director of Icons. You know that we're both overseeing how this thing uh, would uh, would come out, and you know it it absolutely has some of that Mustang character to it. Clearly, you know the absence of a V eight engine, you know it's it's going to be a very different character. <laughs> well, they've got the soundtrack yeah. though, right? Like the little <laughs> the electronic. Yeah, I mean it's 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 got this electronic uh, rumble, and you know there's there's three different driving modes. There's uh, what they call whisper mode. Um, there's the, um, what the heck is the other, the, uh, unbridled is the top of mode, the sportiest mode. Unbridled. Yeah. I prefer irresponsible. irresponsible mode. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's going to be in the GT. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> unbridled. Um, Keep that, that horse theme is strong there. Unbridled. Oh, engage. Right? En engage, exactly. engage is kind of the default mode. So there's whisper, engage, oh, and unbridled. this should have been like dressage. Right, dressage. <laughs> 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 That would not be much. That's only when you autocross, right? That's <laughs> yes. Um, um, so when you when you put it, you know, in whisper mode, it's obviously very quiet, you know, and then it gets a little bit louder in, in engaged mode and in unbridled, you know, it. They wanted it to have some Mustang character, but you know, clearly you can't just use a standard V8 soundtrack. You know, I mean, that just it would not feel authentic, you know, so it had to feel authentic to to what it is, which is an EV. So it's got, you know, this kind of this synthetic rumble that actually sounds I think it sounds right. It feels really good. It's it's, you know, it's does an, it rumble the seat? Does it vibrate? No, it does not you vibrate know, like... the seat. <laughs> um, you know, it's That's it's clearly bad. a synthetic sound. 
but you know, it's, they've done a really good job of matching it to what the vehicle is doing, you know, in terms of, you know, the torque response when you're, uh, you know, when you're accelerating, you know, it, it, it comes up louder, you know, when you back off, you know, so it, it's, it fits. They've, they've done a really good job of fitting it to whatever the car is doing at that moment in time. Well, I, I think that's, um, that's an opportunity for them, you know, looking holistically and at the future as technology advances, it, that's something that they could offer users a way to add their own sounds. I know we've talked about that mm-hmm. before, but that's mm. like, that's, I'm sure that's something that they've, they've thought about. Oh, and, yeah. and it's a way, another way to increase affinity for the product, which they kind of need to do. Like that's going from grudgingly building compliance cars to a product that people love. How do you give them ways to love the product? And that's yeah. something they can do. So talk to us a little bit about the giant 15 inch screen that is in the middle of With the, the knob glued on. With the, yeah. uh, it's <laughs> pretty intri- I mean, yeah. it so, looks so absolutely I, I, may have, I may have mentioned once or twice over the years how much I despise <laughs> touchscreens. <laughs> Um, a little bit. That said, you know, this one actually probably works about as well as any I've ever used. Wow. Um, you know, That's so, saying something. Yeah. You know, and I, a big part of that is, you know, the software and the, the user interface that they designed. And, you know, this, again, this was part of this program. They, you know, they decided they were going to put this big screen in there and then they spent a bunch of time, you know, and, and they, they adopted, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, the Silicon Valley technology kind of approach to the, the user interface design. So what you end up with, and this- Oh, wait, wait, wait. The, the Silicon Valley approach to user interface design? So actually, like, let's not consider um, consequences? <laughs> like- no, no, no. Well, <laughs> not, uh, not all of it. Okay. You know, I mean, in, ter- in terms of, you know, kind of the agile software development. Oh, I see. You know, and, and going through sprints, you know, and, you know, putting together stuff and, and testing it and, you know, a lot of rapid iteration. Um, you know, and doing user testing. So they actually combined it with what they, you know, traditionally do and, and, and brought in, you know, some new things, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, the user testing with this. And I think what they came up with actually works remarkably well. So it's a, it's actually a different interface, even though it's, it's based on the same uh, hardware architecture as what's in the new F-150, you know, it's Sync 4. The user interface is completely different. This is a user interface that they designed specifically for this kind of portrait orientation rather than a landscape. And they, uh, you know, talking to uh, to the team there, they said, you know, they, they've played around with this kind of layout for a landscape setup, and it doesn't really work there. It's This really only works in a portrait. So I think what we're going to see is some different different approaches on, you know, depending on how the screen is oriented and the type of vehicle it is, not every Ford is going to have the exact same user interface, which is fine. I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. I think this one works really well. And when you look at the screen, it's basically three primary zones. The bottom zone, the bottom like quarter of the screen uh, is reserved for primarily for the climate control and that knob. And the, the knob, you know, is, is interesting the, what they did with that. Um, you know, rather than pass a hole through the screen, try and make a hole through the screen and have an electrical connection through there, the knob is, as you mentioned, glued onto the glass. And, you know, there's a, a capacitive surface on the, on the back of it. And when you twist it, it's basically the same thing as if you just ha- if it wasn't there and you just had your finger and you were drawing circles on the, on the screen. 
So it's, it's essentially doing the same kind of thing. So there's a capacitive interface on the back of that that moves around in a circular pattern um, against the screen. Uh, so, you know, that keeps it mechanically fairly simple. You don't have wiring going through there. And, you know, it's, it's very relatively easy to, to, you know, change what it does if you need to. And okay. Then, so uh, it's multifunctional. Uh, it's no, it's really, it's really, well, only, I mean, like, does it interact just with HVAC or does no, it, it's just for it the volume. Like, it's just the volume control. It's just the volume control. Yes. And then in the middle of it, you know, cause it's a ring in the middle of mm -hmm. it, you know, is basically the on off for the display. So you're actually touching the touch screen there when you, when you tap it. Uh, so you, if you want to turn it all off, you turn it off from there. Right. Uh, okay. So it's not multifunctional. It's not a jog dial. It's just a big volume knob, which I think is great. <laughs> it works really well. Right. And then on either side of that, you have your climate controls. The next zone up is the, the card carousel. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a second. And then the top zone, which is like the top, I'd say 60% of the screen is, um, you know, is whatever app you're using right now, whether that's the navigation or the media interface or, uh, you know, the, the charging interface, whatever it might be. And then, you know, or the phone, uh, then that, that app carousel, that card carousel shows three cards on there, which are your three most recently used apps. Uh, and then you can swipe across to get the next three. Um, when you, so if you're, if you've got the navigation in the main zone and you want to get to your Android auto or Apple CarPlay interface, you just tap on the, the, that card and the two swap places, the Android auto or Apple CarPlay interface comes up into the top zone and the nav drops down into that card screen. So you still see a, a miniature version of your map in the card. And so, oh, so it actually moves. I mean, it doesn't yeah. just go side to side, but it actually moves vertically as well. Well, so it, that yeah, area, it, it, the map like it basically shrinks down into a card. Right. And the card oh, expands up into that top zone. So you, oh, that's very so clever. you have your media like interface that. or, you know, your phone, you know, if you want to make a call, you know, is that thing. kind of what Volvo does a little bit? Mm, it's different. It's quite, it's actually quite okay. different from like census. Um, okay. And one of the things, you know, the, I noticed was how responsive it is. I mean, there was no mm. lag. You know, it worked really, really well. The software seems to be really well executed. There's yeah. no bugginess to it, no no lagginess to it. You know, you tap on a card, it, you know, and it, you know, it's really nicely animated. You know, it's, and you know, when I say animated, it's, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not fancy animation, but it's just, it's, it's very smooth and slick, you know, so it just right. expands up to fill that top zone and the other one shrinks down. Uh, you know, so you can toggle back and forth between whatever you're doing very quickly, very easily, very large touch targets. Um, you know, so you're not searching around for stuff and it's, it's a very clean interface. Um, and then right at the very top, there's a strip, um, with, you know, two buttons, one for vehicle settings, one for your, your personal user profile. You tap on the vehicle settings, you know, and, uh, it opens down kind of like the reverse of an Android app drawer you know, to give you access to other settings, you know, much less frequently used stuff, um, you know, make adjustments to seats and other things. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really nice, clean interface that I think works really well. Um, and then in addition, you know, unlike the Tesla Model 3 and Model Y, you actually do get another screen right in front of you with vehicle information. So your speed, 
um, your ADAS information. So if you're in adaptive cruise control or lane keeping assist, you know, it shows you that stuff, you know, when, when it detects other vehicles, um, you know, so that stuff is right in front of you in a 10 inch display, uh, horizontal display. Um, and it just works, you know, I mean, I know, you know, and certainly in, in the it. past, you know, that has been a challenge for Ford, you know, is getting that kind of software stuff to work really well. You know, certainly, you know, Sync 2, which better, better known as my Ford Touch, um, was bad. I mean, it was slow. It was crashy. You know, this one just, it was seamless and fluid, you know, and I think that's a, that's a great thing. Um, the, and, and that, and that idea of seamless and fluid kind of permeates the whole car. Everything about it just felt really well integrated. You know, there was nothing that I, I tried that, you know, got the thing upset, you know, driving down the road, you know, this was a first edition. So it's a, you know, got the larger 19 inch wheels on it. You know, the, the ride quality was good, but the, you know, the body control was excellent, you know, going over rough pavement, you know, it, um, yeah, I wouldn't call it, um, you know, s- supple, but, you know, it did a good job of absorbing the, the, the stuff, you know, so it was very comfortable. But, you know, on the, the twisty, curvy roads, you know, that I was on, it, you know, was very responsive. You know, you turn in was great. Um, you know, steering feel was actually surprisingly good. Um, so, you know, this thing is is fantastic to drive, you know, and this is kind of the, from a performance standpoint, this is kind of the mid range, you know, so it's going to be five to five and a half seconds, zero to 60 time, which is quick. You know, it's plenty quick, but it feels quicker than it is again, because it's an EV, you get that instant response off the line. Um, and that's the other thing, you know, with the modes, it's not just the sound, but the modes, you know, change the, the accelerator response uh, and the, and the steering response. So when you put it in whisper mode, the steering effort's a little bit lighter. The uh, accelerator response is a little bit slower, you know, more, you know, more comfortable. Uh, when you put it into unbridled mode, everything, you know, the steering gets a little heavier and the accelerator response, you know, is a little quicker, you know, so um, it, you know, it's, it feels a little more responsive. And, um, you know, the other interesting thing was, Ford is really going to be pushing the one pedal driving aspect of this, you know, the, the strong regen. Uh, so the default is going to be strong regen. And when you, when you have the strong regen turned on, it will actually, when you lift your foot off, it will <laughs> take your, you know, it'll bring you down to a complete stop. Wow. Uh, you know, without touching the brake, um, you know, at about up to about 0.25, 0.3G. So for basically for all of your normal driving, anything short of a, a a panic stop or a hard stop, you know, you don't even have to touch the brake pedal, but you can switch that off in the settings as well. So it's easy to switch off. And, uh, that's, you know, again, the, the three modes, you know, the response of the regen is a little different in whisper mode. It's more like a coast down, you know, in a traditional car, um, in unbridled, you get the strongest regen response and then engage is somewhere in between. Um, and, you know, I found that, you know, driving on those, on those country roads, you know, in unbridled mode, you know, I could easily just modulate that one pedal and get all the braking I needed, you know, going into corners and coming out, you know, and, and I could easily, you know, adjust the, you know, on tighter corners, I could easily adjust the attitude of the car with the accelerator, you know, get, 
you know, back off a little bit to get it a little, get it to turn, turn in a little bit more, you know, get in a little bit harder to, you know, kind of as I pull out of corners to straighten it up, um, you know, and it, it feels like what you expect a sports car to feel. Well, like. if they can make it, um, you know, fluid in terms of its response with that one, one pedal driving as well and, and having a sort of sporty response for it. So it doesn't give you the hardest regen, but it, it helps you, you know, where you would, where you would tap the brakes for, you know, weight transfer before you initiate mm-hmm. a turn in or something in a more traditional car. Um, if it can just make that really fluid, it's going to be really enjoyable to drive uh, um, in a sporty manner. Um, yeah. So that that's cool that they're, they've thought of that and, and seems like they've, I mean, I'll reserve judgment until I ultimately get to drive. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it looks, it looks like they've thought of so many things like even, and you know, I always like the little surprise and delights, the drain hole in the frunk. Yeah. Like in the, you know, where, now, so if you put stuff a, in that's there. That's a 2020 phrase, the drain hole in the frunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and they, they talked about that you know last year. You know, having a drain hole in there, so you know if you're having a tailgate party, you know, um, you know, you can fill that sucker up with with ice and pack it with beverages and and food. Just open up that drain, or actually, it's an it's an active drain hole, so it'll drain automatically. So you don't actually have okay. to open it up. So it's okay. it's a one way drain. So as the ice melts, you know, it'll just drain down. Or you know, if you've got wet gear from the beach, you know, you can throw that stuff in the front. Put your put your dry stuff in the back. You got 29 cubic feet of cargo space behind their seats, and then 4.8 cubic feet in the front. You know, so you put your wet gear in the front; it'll just drain down. Uh, and you know, put your dry stuff in the back. So, one one interesting little tidbit that you know we, we noticed um, when we opened up the the front. Uh, I still hate that word. I still think it's a stupid I, word. <laughs> but um, when you open I'm an up early the, adopter. You open what up, can I say? When you open up the trunk. Uh, you know, there's actually partitions in there right now. Right. And this, uh, those were not there when we saw it last year. Uh, and it turns out, uh, you know, because the size of the trunk means that under current regulations there, it's possible for a small person to be inside <gasps> of that. Like uh, Jill Simonella. Yes. She could probably <laughs> fit in Simonello, there. sorry. Um, and, uh, so you have to have an interior opening for the, for the, for that. Uh, if somebody oh, gets stuck in there. God. And they do have an opening in there, but, you know, it's an electronic system and they're still uh, refining the software for that. So the first builds actually have some partitions in there. So, you know, the, you know, the, the, the cavities are big enough, you know, to put grocery bags and stuff in there. So you can put four or five grocery bags in there, full grocery bags. But, you know, a person could not climb in there. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. And once once the software uh, is available for the interior release. That's going to be pushed out via an over-the-air update. And that's the other thing. You know, this thing supports over-the-air updates for all systems in the vehicle. So they'll push out an OTA update. That'll enable that. And then they will also include instructions for how you can remove that that partition. Um, Although taking a look at it, you know, anybody who's reasonably handy with a screwdriver, you know, or, you know, a spudger could probably pop the the restraints out of that thing pretty quickly and get that out of their way, you know, in a couple of minutes, if you, if you needed to have the full volume. Don't overestimate the skill of the common man. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so what about the seats? I mean, the interior and the, and the material choices and such, the seats in the front look fairly flat. Are they well bolstered? They're, they're, I would, I would prefer them to be a little more bolstered than they are. Um, You know, but they're, they're comfortable. 
but they they could use more bolstering. But again, you know, the GT will definitely have seats that are right. more heavily bolstered. Uh, right. You know, so, you know, this one, you know, this is more typical of what you would find, you know, in a base Mustang. Uh, okay. But uh, uh, when when they launch the GT next summer, it'll have more heavily bolstered seats because the GT is going to be able to run zero to 60 in under three and a half seconds. So it's, oh, wow. it's going to have performance comparable to a GT500. Yeah. So, and then on the material choices, are they offering a vegan option for the that is, materials? Other than the cloth, that is actually the only option. There is no leather. Oh, in this thing. there's no leather. Yeah, oh, they interesting. Have, they, they call it Active X. It's a it's a vegan, uh, you know, artificial. Uh, yeah, because it didn't really look material. like leather. Yeah. from your pictures, but it, it's you know it's very comfortable. It actually, I mean, it's not it's not plush like you know the leather in a you know high end luxury car. Yeah. But, right. you know, it, it feels really good. And actually, they have the same material on the steering wheel. And um, on the steering wheel, it actually feels really good in the hands. So it's got uh, a little bit, you know, it's not really, it's not slick on the steering mm -hmm. wheel. It's actually got just a, a little bit of texture to it. So you, it feels comfortable in your hand and you, you get a really good grip on the steering wheel. So it's not quite like a, you know, it's, it's, no, it's nowhere near like an Alcantara type of thing. Right. But there's right, just enough yeah. of a texture there that it doesn't feel slick in your hands and like it's going to slide right. out of your hands. Uh, nice. So that, that was really, really nice. I like that a lot. And speaking of Alcantara, the, the, there's a fabric or something on the dash. Yeah. So what's that situation? Yeah. So you know, one of the things they did <laughs> was this, um, you know, one of the things trying to bring in some Mustang design cues, you know, you have. One of the idea, the traditional cues in the Mustang is that that twin pod type of layout on the dashboard, and okay. you know they tried to echo that a little bit with what you see here uh, on the dashboard with these two things. But it's it's also you know in a modern way, it the speakers are behind that, so you have oh, it, it's, cool. it's, so like, it's like stereo. It's, like a, it's like a sound bar. Right. So oh, neat. So you've got this fabric that's covering it. So it's like having a sound bar sitting in front of you across the dashboard. Oh, that's um, cool. And, uh, you know, again, you know, it looks good. You know, it's yeah. well executed, but it, it, it also looks modern. You know, it's um, it's a very clean, um, you know, uncluttered design. Right. Yeah, nice. I think the, no, it looks great. We're going to see because this isn't just a single model. The, the sort of takeaway that I uh, am understanding with the Mach E is that it's it's not a single car. It's an entire um architecture. And and they had to imagine the ecosystem around that architecture too, which is why they did the uh the deals with the, the charging providers. And um the more we we look at the car, the more we use it, I think it's gonna be obvious that they the things that they thought about and um had to solve for, like the the those door handles that tuck under the mirrors and, and stuff, that's you know, that's like, another really neat feature that they did here is the door yeah. handles talk to us about those <laughs> so <laughs> one of the you know when you look at it you, you look you look at the doors and there's no obvious door handles there but on the pillars on the on the the a pillar and the c pillar there's a little push button there that you tap and on the front doors there's a little little handle you stick your finger under it so you press the button with your with your thumb and the you know then you can use the this little handle to to pull it out uh but what happens when you press that button on the inside of the door there's what they call the door presenter so there's a little ram that pops out about inch and a half two inches 
and there's also an accelerometer inside there. So what happens is you press the button, the door kind of pops out a couple inches, and you can you pull it open. But you know when you pull it open at any you know at any normal speed that you would open the door, as soon as the door starts to move, that little ram retracts back inside the door. So when you look at the inside of the door, it looks flat. But if if you pop the thing open and it pops the door out, and then you lean on the door, the door won't go in. So what is using what is doing is it's using that accelerometer to determine how fast that door is moving, and if it's moving very slowly, it it'll keep that the presenter there, that little ram, and the door won't won't move. So you can stick your finger under there, and it it won't it won't pinch your fingers. You can't pinch your fingers in it. And then I'm gonna have to try this out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know, if, if you get down and look, you can, if you pull the door open very slowly, you can, you'll see that Ram is still sticking out there. But then as soon as you jerk the door a little bit or move it, you know, anything beyond just a very slow pull, you'll see it pop back in inside, you know, and disappear right away. And then on the, on the back doors, you know, one of the things that they were describing was, you know, often, you know, when kids are getting into the back door or, you know, the back of the car, you know, they'll pull the handle and then they'll stick their hand behind the back edge of the door, you know, to pull it open. Um, and the the reason why they have the little handle on the front doors and not on the back doors, on the front doors, it's actually within the wake of the mirrors. Right, so, for arrow. Yeah. So, so looking at the so aerodynamics. It, so, seems, so it actually, okay. those little handles actually have zero impact on the aerodynamics because it's right the, the the air from the mirrors reattach the wake from the mirrors reattaches about halfway down the back door so they can put that right. there and it has no impact if they did that on the back it would cause extra drag so what they have is on the inside of the back door um you know when you pop it open you just grab the back edge of the door and there's actually a plastic panel on there you know there's like a grip on the back side of the door that you can't see from the outside but you pull it open, you know, it's got a nice comfortable grip there. Uh, Do you have pictures of that? Cause I'd love to see that. Uh, somehow I missed getting pictures of that. Um, okay. I will, I will have to, to get that, but you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. But, you know, the, the, the idea with the, with the presenter, I think is, is really cool. You know, again, it's one of those details, you know, and we talked about this, you know, with the, uh, with the, when, when they launched the F-150, you know, this whole idea of human-centered design. And we're starting to see this mm. permeate throughout all of the, the things that all these new products that Ford is bringing out is a lot of really thoughtful details that you wouldn't, you normally wouldn't think of. But, you know, when, when you realize they're there, it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Well, I you, like that. You know, there's actually, oh, I'm sorry, just real quick. There's actually an indent. I'm looking at one of your pictures of the back seat. There's actually an indent in the body of the vehicle next to the gasket. And I'm wondering if that's. Yes. That's where the presenter would. That's where yep. it is. Okay. So, um, yeah. All right. You're that's, that's where, that's where, it, uh, that's where it pushes against. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, I think that that, uh, that impression that you were talking about, Sam, where you like, you look it over, you experience it and you, you find all these, these areas where Ford has put the thought in that you didn't even know that that was something to think about. Um, that's something that needs to happen in sort of any kind of product design, especially with automobiles, because the stakes are high when you're out on the road. And it's good to see that despite a lot of the rhetoric of taking things from software and app development and the tech industry, where their credo 
has been move fast and break things. And that like that sucks when you're talking about a 5,000 pound weapon, you know? So it's uh, the thing that I'm, I'm taking from um, from the book that I've plugged a couple of times is the flip side of that, the designer and the, the team creating those products. Your job is to imagine not only the way it affects you, but the way other people may be affected by, it. you know, how is it for disabled folks and, and uh, older people and, and all these things. And your job is to say no and ask why. So you've got move fast, break things, say no and ask why in the sense that you have to understand all of the different ways your perfect solution is going to break and then mm-hmm. make that that solution for them. So I'm really encouraged to see some of that because, it, again, your interview with, with Hao uh, Tai Tang, it was um, – he, they talked to – was it the CEO of Delta or something? And he gave them sort of another yeah, – Ed Bastion. Yeah, just another m- mantra that was just like – uh, you know, be ambitious, but move quickly. And and you can move quickly, but you really need to to fully realize your your ideas. And that's uh, something that I don't think we've seen enough of in in any kind of paradigm shift for the automotive industry. You know, anytime we're trying to do a lot of things, something gets broken, and and that's really bitten Tesla mm-hmm. a few times. So I, I like. That yeah. Well, the, I think you know what's what's different here. You know, unlike Tesla, you know, Tesla. Moves fast, break things, and then ships them. And then, <laughs> right, that's that's the software thing. And, and design, then, ship, and then test, goes back, and tries to fix yeah, it. Uh... What what we've what we've seen here, or at least you know what it, what it appears that we've seen here is that they're they're doing the move fast and break things before they ship. Right, it. that's fine. Like just during right. development. That, yeah, right, and that's you that's know that, that, that whole you yeah. know that whole user interface on that center screen you know is all about that that process that design that development process was move fast and break things internally and they went through a whole ton of iterations on that before they came up with with what they're shipping yeah and i think and, that w- with the with a team together like that too when you break down those walls you know with the stupid business jargon is uh no silos when you remove the silos you've got all of the teams working together it's like the old um the old chrysler idea of or uh or amc idea of platform teams and mm-hmm. I'm sure other automakers pick up on that as well. I mean, that's, that's something from the early 80s. So it's not like it's revolutionary now. But just get all the disciplines together. Have them all talk to each other and and figure it out. Uh, that's, I think, a much better strength than everybody kind of working, you know, off their, their spreadsheet in a um, single discipline. And again... Like I don't work at a car company, so maybe I, I think that uh, my my picture of how it gets done is different than the reality. So um, it just seems natural to me that if you get everybody talking to each other, you're going to solve those problems a lot a lot better than um, everybody kind of just doing their own thing and and the product gets barfed out there. Okay, right. <laughs> like the pie. Right, it's like a giant hairball <laughs> yeah. of checklists. It's just. <laughs> Where everybody was doing their own thing, but apparently nobody was actually talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know. And certainly nobody was saying no. Yeah. And asking right. why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, this one, you know, they, I think, you know, it's clear that they asked a lot of questions, got a lot of no's, you know, and, and came up with something that I think, you know, really works. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the things I asked how, you know, is, you know, you earlier, Rebecca, you mentioned Saturn, you know, the mm-hmm. Saturn was this big experiment for GM where they basically created a whole new car company within GM and did things in a different way. And 
some stuff that they did kind of filtered back in, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the end, you know, Saturn ended up becoming just another division of GM. Because you know, it, it was absorbed back in. Yeah, before it finally got killed. Well, but there right. was a and, lot and, of... The way that one in particular was executed, you, you have to be careful when you're running a corporation like that with divisions. You know, culture is important. And they uh -huh. they almost broke the culture. They were like, yeah, all of you other GM brands, you suck. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to take the money that we could invest in making you better, and we're going to make a new one, a new shiny object over here. And, and that, I think sort of doomed Saturn to a lot of hard feelings inside GM. Well, yeah. And they, and then they, but then they starved it a product as well. I mean, we could do yeah, an entire yeah. show on what happened with, but, Saturn. but I, I see your point where they, <laughs> yeah. they, they almost use it as a development lab um, for how to change GM, which at that point was kind of scratching its head going, wait, where'd our market share go? <laughs> well, but let's think, you know, like think about Apple, right. And how a lot of how Apple developed things like the iPod and, and individual, but they integrate it then. They don't leave it as a standalone. That thought process is those developments, those technologies are then integrated, not with resentment, but with the, uh, that cultural idea of this is, this is a great idea. Where else can we use it? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, you, there's, that needs to happen more in legacy companies. It, it's not a pissing match. It is how do we make our product better? And it's on ego thing. It is how do we make our product better? And that's a cultural thing. I think that starts from the top with a sense of humbleness of, of what are we, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on what we do well or what our customer needs? Ah, ah that's the, that's the key is, 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 is almost like, um, you know, uh, what's good for GM is good for America. And like all these things from the, the, you know, the, the middle of the 20th century that, that turned out to kind of cover back around and bite them. Um, <laughs> you can't, you can't sit still and Ford hasn't, you know, and, and I think that maybe that's one of the things we're seeing too here is that there was big leadership, uh, turnover. Well, that was, that was the Alan Mulally effect though, right? Because well, when Alan came in to some, well, Go ahead. You, you were there, Sam. So, go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, Malali, when Malali came in, you know, he changed a lot of things, but somehow it, it didn't seem to become permanent. It did not. In terms of no, the culture. You're right. And, Absolutely. you know, when, when Malali retired and they made Fields the CEO, a lot of stuff kind of went back to the way it was. Right. And, you know, kind of reverted, you know, and you had these intercenine fights, you know, between departments and, you mm -hmm. know, a lot, you know, a lot of bad decision making. And then that's ultimately, you know, a big part of why <clears throat> Fields was, was let go. Um, you know, and what's going to be interesting to watch over the next three, five years is how Ford continues to evolve, you know, hack it. You know, when he changed a lot of things too when he came in, you know, and, you know, things like, you know, T medicine and the AV business and, and a lot of other things. And I think, you know, Farley, Jim Farley, who's now the CEO, I think was much more, I think he, he took what Hackett did much more to heart than Fields ever did <clears throat> with Mulally's ideas. And well, and so, yeah, you know, I think if he can keep that kind of approach going and 
you know, whether the lessons they learned from team medicine continue to filter through the rest of the company. If that happens, then I think that this was, this was great. This was a great experiment and, you know, it'll, it'll be good for the company long-term. But if they don't find a way to replicate what they've done and keep this, keep these concepts going, then, Mm -hmm. then Ford's going to be in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with, with Ford, with Mulally's reign there, the transition to Mark did not involve continued adoption of what Mulally put in place. Mm-hmm. And that's because, because Mark uh, could not engender the same level of commitment and loyalty to those processes. So those were very specific to, to Alan and what, how he ran the company. And, and that transition didn't happen. Um, even though Mark adopted a lot of what Alan wanted, uh, it, it didn't it didn't carry through then to when Mark took over. And so it will be really interesting to see what happens with Ford, with Ford's culture, with this this uh, team and and the and the mindset of whether they can continue infiltrating through the legacy of Ford Motor Company. And, and I hope they do because everyone will be better for it. Yeah. I mean, so far we've seen, you know, several, you know, several new products this year that do seem to embody the kinds of ideas that, that Hackett brought to the business with the F-150, the yes. Bronco, the Mach-E. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, in 2021 and beyond, you know, if they can keep doing that, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a challenge you know, and they, they have to succeed at this if they're, if the company is going to survive long-term. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, did we, we put a post out for questions. Did we get any questions? Uh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I was, I was early I was, Sunday morning. I was, yeah. I, I should have put, <laughs> I should have done it yesterday. I didn't. Uh, but I'm sure we'll have some questions after this uh, this post goes live on uh, December 15th. Yeah, I mean, I think that we could probably burn another few episodes about the Maki, and I'm sure that we will. Um, but I wanted to make sure that we got out there with our our taste of well, the especially after you two have a chance to drive it as well. Yeah, hopefully that happens someday soon. I mean, yeah. they're they're doing regional drives, so that's good. You know, Ford has has figured it out, and they'll you know they'll get these things into the press fleet. You know, I think fairly quickly after after the 15th. Um, you know, the, the charging experience, you know, I, I didn't get the opportunity to, uh, to charge it. Um, uh, we only had a couple hours with the car, but, uh, it, you know, it supports 150 kilowatt charging. Uh, so you should be, you know, with the extended range battery, you should be able to get a full charge in about 40 minutes. And um, what is the range? I don't think we've talked about that. Yeah. So it starts off, um, the base model, the standard range rear wheel drives, is officially rated at 230 miles. Um, The uh, rear-wheel drive extended range battery is rated at 300 miles, and the the all-wheel drive extended range is 270 miles, which is what I drove. Uh, And I talked to uh, Darren Palmer, who's the director of EVs, uh, EV programs at Ford, uh, about, you know, what... Because you, you might think that with the all-wheel dr- drive, the dual motor, uh, they might actually be able to take advantage of more regen to get more range. Um, but uh, the the way that the testing is done, you know, um, the lab testing is done for the range estimates and for fuel economy, 
they have test weight classes. So they bin, bin them, you know, and that's for setting up the dynamometer, the loads on the dyno. Uh, so it's like about 100 to 150 pound test ranges. And the extra motor basically bumped it up a test uh, a notch uh, to the next test weight class. Uh, mm. And so that caused the, you know, it put a little more load on it and, and caused it to drop down a little bit. But the, the reality is it, it's probably going to be closer to 300 miles. Um, you know, I was, I was driving fairly briskly during my time with it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think the, uh, the just under three miles per kilowatt hour that I was getting is probably not, is not representative of what you would get in normal daily driving. You know, mm-hmm. just like any other car, you know, if you're driving it fast, you know, you're going to use more fuel and use more energy. Uh, but you know, getting 300 miles out of this thing should should not be a problem at all, and it it does recharge you know as quickly as anything else that's out there. And the price point? Uh, base price for uh, the select trim, the base trim, is uh, I think just under forty three thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. The uh, the extended range all wheel drive uh, is uh, going to be if you know, if you, like the premium trim level is uh somewhere around fifty thousand dollars or just over about the 7500 tax credit still applies seventy five hundred dollar tax credit still applies uh ford's probably not going to hit the two hundred thousand sales threshold until sometime around middle of 2021 so you know at least through middle of 2022 you'll still be able to get a tax credit on this uh so you know, I think the the one the one I think most people will want will be the extended range, either rear drive or all wheel drive, um, which is going to be you know fifty to fifty three thousand dollars roughly. So you're looking mid forties uh, after the tax credits, you yeah. know, low forties if you're in California or some other states. And you'll be able to get it. And then they <laughs> yes. And then they ended up building it in Mexico, right? Yeah. Out of their they, plant there, they retooled uh, the Quadalon Mexico plant where they used to build Fiesta. Okay. Uh, and that's an EV plant now. So they're building battery packs and EVs. Uh, so there will be other stuff coming from there besides the Mm -hmm. Mach-E. Yeah. Well, that's something that Um, we didn't, uh, really touch on too deeply is that, um, the motors, the power electronics and the, the, uh, the software is all in-house designed by Ford. I -hmm. I think they're not, they're not manufacturing the motors in-house right now, but, um, yeah, I think eventually they will be manufacturing motors in-house as, as the volumes ramp up. And the, the battery uh, design is theirs too, right? Or is they partnering? Yeah, with, as, yeah. Far, as far as I know, it's, it's, their, it's their battery pack design. Um, LG Chem supplies the lithium-ion cells, uh, much as they do for many other companies. So um, that's, that's the whole arc. That's the whole system. Like, they, yeah. they did the whole shooting match. So expect that the Mach-E is, is really just the, the start of... Yeah, I mean, Ford Ford actually has a battery lab, uh, a joint battery lab with the University of Michigan, uh, where they test mm-hmm. cell chemistries and develop cell chemistries. So they've been working on their, their cell chemistries uh, there and, you know, working with LG Chem to, to manufacture them for them. So for now, at least, Ford is not getting into manufacturing cells. Although in a recent uh, conference, uh, I think Jim Farley talked about uh, that yeah, you know, as volumes ramp up, they would they would they are potentially looking at bring cell manufacturing in house as well, like GM has done. But for now, they're relying on suppliers. LG Chem is supplying the Mach E. Uh, that Ford will also be getting uh, lithium ion cells from uh, SK Innovation uh, when their plant is up and running in Georgia. Uh, so SK is going to be supplying Volkswagen and Ford at least, and uh, and and others as well. So. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be 
you know, it's going to be interesting to watch the adoption. I think first year, you know, they're looking at about 50,000 units for Mach-E globally. Um, and then we'll see how it ramps up from there. And, and then, you know, other models that they're adding um, over the next several years. That will be exciting. We'll see how it does. Yeah. Please, please send us them early and often. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fascinating to see what they do with the S650, which is the next generation classic Mustang, um, you know, which is coming out in a couple of years. Well, that's going to be the, yeah. the Mach 1 is going to be the hybrid, right? Like that's the, well, the thinking. The, I, I had um, speculated that the Mach 1 would be the hybrid, but that's actually launching in the spring. Uh, that's that's a five liter. That's just a standard five liter. Wow. Looks like the hybrid Mustang is going to shift to 2022 with the new one that comes out. The with the the S650 is going to have the hybrid rather than the current S550 generation. Um, and you know who knows? Maybe we'll see you know a, an electric Mustang coupe as well. More, more Mustangs are good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, cool. All right. Well, oh one one other one uh, other thing I, I've I've neglected to mention. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things, you know, when they, when they made the decision to transform this thing and pivot and make this a Mustang, you know, the design changed, you know, they've shown some sketches, you know, showing the profile of the original car that they were developed, the original crossover they were developing, which a very short hood, you know, sloping windshield, and, um, you know, more, you know, more S, you know, crossover, traditional crossover like, and, you know, when they, they changed the proportions of this thing to, to make it look more like a Mustang. So it's got that long hood, you know, it kind of stretches out. And when you're in the driver's seat, I mean, you look out over that hood, it is, it does feel more like sitting in a Mustang, um, you know, than sitting in something like a Chevy Bolt, you know, where the hood just mm. kind of drops away from you in front of you. Um, you know, you see that hood in there uh, and, you know, it, it's got more of that Mustang feel to it. It really looks fantastic. I mean, I love the profile of it, the huge skylight sunroof. I mean, it just, and, and I think the glass, the, the glass the, roof stayed on the entire it, time it, I was driving it. Never <laughs> flew off. <laughs> the rims, the treatment of the rims. Yeah. I mean, they really, I think they've done an absolutely gorgeous job with this vehicle. I think so too. I, I like it a lot. I, you know, I liked it when I saw it last year and I, I, I've continued, you know, it's grown on me even more. And, you know, oh, where is the charge port? The charge port is on the right front fender. Left, okay. left front. Oh, sorry, left front fender. Driver's side. Okay. Like behind the wheel, not yeah. in the front, not the front grill. No. Okay. All right, cool. No, it looks it looks really fantastic. So is that your prediction, Sam? Like well, I guess we'll leave everybody with a prediction, but uh, you you think that the the Mustang Machi is gonna do well and and usher in a new era of electric Fords? Uh yeah, I mean, you know, we already know there's gonna be a bunch of electric Fords and Lincolns coming. Uh, they've already announced the the F-150 and the E-Transit. There's a, at least one electric Lincoln coming. And during the um, contract talks with the Canadian, Canadian Union earlier this fall, um, they, you know, part of that the new contract there is the Oakville assembly plant where they build the Edge and the Nautilus today uh, is going to be retooled to build EVs from 2023. So that's going to be another EV plant. So they're going to be building EVs at at least four different locations by 2023. Uh, in Quadalon, uh, Oakville, uh, Dearborn for the F-150, excuse me, the F-150, and uh, Kansas City where they built the Transit. And uh, I expect that as as we've seen with GM and other manufacturers that uh, that number is going to grow. There's going to be additional plants building EVs over the next several years. Uh, as long as people keep buying them. 
and well that's yeah. that's the that's the key uh, you know the you know the, and and this this is what you know i think ford recognized you know that if they're if they're going to build evs they have to make it they have to make the entire experience appealing for customers you know not just what it looks like what it drives like but everything about owning and buying an ev has to be better and yeah. so far from what we've seen i think they're on the right track and they just, you know the 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 last piece that's missing you know i think i think last year when we first saw the mach e you know i said at the time you know they they basically stole the tesla playbook in almost every respect uh in terms of the the experience the user experience and ownership experience around this vehicle the the one key differentiator that Ford potentially has relative to uh, to Tesla is they know how to build vehicles. And <laughs> but, and this is a very big but, you know, they know they've been building vehicles for 117 years. They know how to do it, but that doesn't mean they always get it right. As we saw last year with the launch of the Explorer <laughs> and Aviator, you know, they had a really bungled launch with that vehicle. And mm -hmm. They have to have a, a smooth launch with this thing, because if they mess it up like they did the Explorer, then they, you know, I think, you know, that's going to uh, kill any uh, perception that uh, consumers have that Ford knows how to build these things. Yeah. So if they can, if they can do that right, if they can have a smooth launch and get these things to customers, I think it'll do well. Yeah, and I know you interviewed how Titan. Um, and we're going to add that to this. And what is his position? Uh, He's the global pro uh, chief product development officer. Okay. Or something, cool. something to, to that effect. Right. All right. That's a perfect segue. Awesome. So why don't we wrap up here? We'll paste the interview with Hao Tai Tang at the end, and then uh, we'll see everybody for the next episode. All right. Bye. Great. Bye. So big, big week this week, finally uh, letting people outside of Ford actually drive the, the Mach-E. Um, you know, this, is, this is a really important program for Ford. You know, first purpose-built EV for the company in its history. What, you know, what, what, is, what does this mean to Ford actually having this out there? Sam, it's a watershed moment for us, uh, as you stated, because every vehicle that we've done up until now, we started with the constraint that we had to protect for an internal combustion engine, and with this product, we didn't. So we really used that to challenge the team around you know, all of the design paradigms that we've had for 117 years, and how would we um, you know, challenge that to deliver a great experience for the customer. Uh, we've been very intentional around how to execute it, you know, clearly embracing Mustang to cut through the clutter of all the other products that are launching, but also to use that as a platform to amplify, uh, amplify the attributes that Mustang customers love the most using the battery electric vehicle. Um, and then on the inside, as you can tell, we're very intentional about making this very advanced, uh, but not, not a science project, not a spaceship, uh, balancing that with being very intuitive, easy to use. And then, of course, the all-new electrical architecture over the air update, the SYNC 4.A, 4A system, you know, really game-changing for us. Yeah, there's, you know, having watched this program, you know, gotten the first look at it a little over a year ago now, uh, and seeing the LA Auto Show, yeah. there's a lot about this program that is very different from the way Ford has typically developed vehicles. Um, I, I, I see more in this one of 
forward-looking outside of itself. That, you know, instead of doing it the way you always develop vehicles, this has been seems to be very intentionally very very different approach. Can you talk more about yeah. that? I'm really glad you picked up on that because we had a lot of internal soul searching, and we we actually even debated should we go out and acquire a startup? You know, can we really challenge ourselves and, and disrupt ourselves? And we, we, we talked as a leadership team. We said, you know, we've done this. We know how to do this. And the example I used was the Ford GT program. You know, you, you know the story. We took 30 of our best and brightest, locked them in the basement of the product development center. And That's what you always want to do yeah. with your best and brightest, is lock them in the right. basement. Yeah. But, but the, the key enabler, though, was we had a very clear mandate for that. Look, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of you know, Ford beating Ferrari. We want to go back to Le Mans, and we want to win. And here's the date, you know, and that was the, the mandate. And we said, if we could, you know, crystallize for this Team Edison, we called it, the same group of our best and brightest, what the mission is, um, you know, they can they can do it, and they can challenge the status quo and disrupt ourselves. And we, I borrowed this from uh, Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta. He came to speak to us, and he said, the way Delta thinks about disruption is, think big, start small, and scale fast. And that was kind of the mandate we gave to Team Edison. We said, we want you to be really forward thinking in terms of your aspiration for this product. Think big, but let's start small and do it on this one first Mach-E product. And then we'll scale up those learnings across the enterprise. And that's the way we've approached it. And, you know, one of looking at this vehicle and all the aspects around it, uh, one of the, the things, you, know, you mentioned learnings, it seems like you've taken a lot of learnings from what at least one particular other company has experienced over the past decade selling electric vehicles. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot. There's clearly a lot of Tesla influence in this vehicle. Talk, talk about you know, how you picked and cho chose the, the pieces that you wanted to use. Yeah, I think Tesla demonstrated to the entire industry that you know you can take a battery electric vehicle and make it fun, be aspirational. Um, and challenge the entire business model of how you how you go to market and how you create value, um, and that was you know an epiphany for us. We went from viewing it as something you have to do uh, to be compliant. Uh, so the analogy I use is sort of like you know giving your kids cough medicine. They pinch their nose and close their eyes and, and swallow. To now, hey, how could we really embrace this and use this uh, and couple it where, where we're strong? Mustang, obviously, iconic nameplate. We dominate that segment. We have strong favorable opinion. We have the market share lead. Could we use a battery electric vehicle architecture to amplify the attributes that Mustang customers love? Instantaneous torque, performance, fun to drive, all of those things, and do it in a way that's really fresh and new that adds on to Mustang rather than takes away from Mustang. Um, so that, that was really the approach. And then thinking through the business model. So uh, a paradigm that we all have had for a hundred years in our industry, it's a, a transaction model. I sell you a car and I hope you come back in six years and buy another one. So now we have, it's a use model. You buy this vehicle with the over-the-air connectivity, it gets better with age. We can uh, give you incremental functionalities and features that you didn't have when you buy it. And then we can create value from that um, and, and you know have a lifelong own, uh, relationship with that customer. The, the, you know, the decision to use the Mustang name, you know, that came well, well after this program was originally you know, well along the way. In the formation of Team Edison in, in mid-2017, 
that idea of you know, looking at how do we develop a business model for EVs. Um, with, with the use of the Mustang name, how has how's the feedback been from outside of Ford to having a Mustang crossover? Um, it's been controversial, you know, uh, but it was a very intentional choice. I remember that day because at the time, uh, Jim Farley and I both started our jobs at the time. I had, I had spent five years in purchasing. I was coming back to take over product development. Jim was moving into the global markets role. And one of the first things we did was we independently both asked Murray Callum to tour us around the studio. And we, we had about 60 in-flight programs. And the way I looked at it was I said, Murray, there's some products that are so far along, there's nothing I can do about them. There are some that are really early on that we can still change. The really hard ones are the ones that are kind of mid-flight because you can make a change, but there's probably going to be some timing implications and you have to be really intentional about it. And this was one of the products. Yeah, I, I got done. Jim did the same walk around independently. He came back, arrived at the same with the same product that we had to change. And we just talked as a team that in this time frame, there's going to be hundreds of new nameplates that are electrified. What is Ford going to do to cut through that clutter? Why would somebody choose us and consider us? Um, and we said, you know, we have to lean to the areas where we're strong. Pick the segments, the nameplates where we have strong brand favorable opinion, where we have a dominant market share, where we have pricing power. And then, oh, by the way, could we use electrification to amplify those attributes that those customers love? And that's how we landed on Mustang. And for a lot of folks, they were skeptical, and I think they were trapped in a very traditional paradigm and mindset of what this is what Mustang is. Um, if Lee Iacocca was trapped by that, we never would have had a Mustang, right? So um, I think, uh, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, hopefully uh, it will do well in the marketplace. I'm confident that it will, and it'll allow us to really build on the Mustang family, extend that family. So, you know, one of the, the risks, you know, and this, this has happened to companies before where they have tried to go down a new path, uh, you know, try a different approach, it's worked, but then it doesn't, it doesn't get ingrained into the, the that approach. That new approach doesn't get ingrained into the, the company culture. What are you doing to help make sure that the things that succeeded with Team Medicine and Maki uh, get fed into other programs going forward and, and get retained? Yeah. So this is the scaling it up part of it, which is we're taking the lessons from the Maki team, Team Medicine, and we're actually institutionalizing. So we're changing our global product development system for example, and taking time out where we know we, we are able to do that. Uh, we're cha changing the way we're organized. So uh, as part of the recent organizational announcement that Jim Farley made, he, he put, you know, there were, for me there was kind of three key uh, elements to it. One was putting the business unit and customer uh, requirements first and foremost. Uh, that's kind of the North Star of who we serve. And then creating this industrial platform, uh, which I lead, where we're combining product development, purchasing, uh, enterprise product line management, uh, but also manufacturing together so that we can work simultaneously. That was one of the learn learnings from Team Medicine, was having those teams together up front working simultaneously. And then creating this technology and software platform where we know that the future and uh, you know is all about software and how do we en enable the technology stack to create these wonderful connected experiences um, to change the, you know how how we differentiate Ford and Lincoln in the marketplace.
Yeah, I mean, that's clearly an area where you have had some substantial success over the last five years, is that really creating that distinction between the two brands. Uh, you know, Lincolns are no longer regarded as just fancier Fords. You know, they, you look at them, they have a completely distinct look and feel to them. Are, with electrification, are you planning to do the same sort of thing and, and separate electric Fords and, and Lincolns from their internal combustion siblings? We, yes, we want to continue to differentiate Ford and Lincoln to the same level that we have today. It's really paid dividends for us. Lincoln is, you know, uh, one of the, I think, fastest growing brands in the marketplace. Uh, it's going to be, frankly, it's going to be harder with battery electric vehicles because many of the, the tuning knobs that you have, so things like powertrain, sound quality, and um, are no longer at your disposal, so the teams have to work harder, um, and software is going to be a big part of that, but the most important thing is having clarity on the North Star of what the brands stand for. Um, so internally within Ford, we refer to Lincoln as, as quiet flight. It's about you know this human, uh, intuitive, you know, um, relaxing driving experience, and we think battery electric vehicles are a great way to amplify those attributes for Lincoln as well. Speaking of software, uh, I mean, software is an area that has been part of the auto industry for decades now. You know, I, I worked in software as an engineer for nearly 20 years. Uh, but it's an area where automakers are not generally considered to have a whole lot of expertise. It's traditionally been more in the, the really deeply embedded software, but not in the user-facing software component. You and, and others before, and, and your competitors have talked about trying to hire a lot more software engineers in the coming years. How's that process been going? Have, have you been able to attract and recruit people with the kind of user-facing customer experience software expertise that you need? Yeah, so you, you're very familiar with this space. We, we've had, we have a lot of software experience, but it's mostly around calibration and infotainment. Um, and as what we see is going forward, yes, vehicle embedded is gonna be very key. Having that very tight couple between designing software that works with an embedded uh, compute stack is very different than software that runs in the cloud where you don't have all those constraints. Uh, but we also recognize that so much of the experience now needs to be delivered seamlessly between embedded in the vehicle, the cloud, on the edge, on a mobile device. Um, and we, we, that's part of the organization that we've created with this new technology and software platform. In terms of hiring, we have been able to attract people. We've been, we did a very successful acquihire with BlackBerry, where we, we brought on about 600 of their folks. Um, we left them in Ontario and didn't force them to move in. And now, with COVID, we've learned to work very well remotely. So I think because there's a lot more flexibility. And frankly, it's a fun industry to be in. I think many of the tech folks recognize that, hey, I don't just have to work for a consumer electronics company or an app firm. I could work on a cool in a cool industry like the automotive and have a huge impact. Yeah. Speaking of BlackBerry, um, Ford announced uh, maybe three years ago that uh, you, ch you chose to work with BlackBerry for the operating system for a lot of the stuff that you're doing. Uh, and is that with that team that you that you acquired? Is that, is that, are they doing that internally yeah. now? So they played a key part in terms of delivering this uh, Sync 4A system for us. Um, so not only the software, but they've done a lot of the vertical integration um, of the hardware. So we we've, we've integrated more of the compute that used to be standalone uh, black box that we bought from the tier one suppliers. We've integrated and we've controlled that. We've created our own 
hardware architecture and software architecture in terms of uh, clarity of you know firmware, middleware, uh, and the customer-facing layer, and how which part Ford wants to own so that we can get scale and reuse across vehicles and applications, and then which part we want to leverage the supply base for. They still have the differentiation and the flexibility in terms of who we work with. And uh, you know, what, looking again, Tesla. Look at what they've done, especially in the area of their, their full self-driving software, and they've. Um, they've really been out on the bleeding edge in terms of what they're willing to distribute to customers. Yeah. Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, you've got Volkswagen. They had some significant challenges with the launch of their first MEV vehicles. You know, a lot of delays due to software. Where where do you see Ford being in that spectrum right now of pushing out? You know, whatever they, you might consider a minimum viable product versus trying to get it right, at least, you know, or maybe yeah. having a higher standard for what's viable? Well, I think, first and foremost, um, you can't generalize all software and lump it together. So, I think customers are more tolerant to having beta systems and recognizing that something that you can refine and update, and I want to be part of a beta test. So I'll give you an example. We were one of the first to integrate Waze into uh, our uh, infotainment system, many of those early pilot users were hand raisers that said, I want to help for debug this system. And they're okay to have occasional bugs. They're, they're a part of the, the development community to help us improve it. That's very different than a safety critical system like a, a, a driver assist system. We would never do that with a driver assist systems. I don't believe in using customers to beta test you know, safety critical items. Um, so we're taking a very different approach than Tesla there. Our view is uh, we understand the limitations of the current state of the art in terms of the suite of technology. We know that the customers still have to be in the loop, so they may have hands off, uh, which we're delivering, but their eyes still have to be on the road and their minds have to be on. And when you start to uh, launch systems and you give it nomenclature that intimates a higher level of functionality than what it actually is, it's very risky, and Ford would never do that. Yeah. All right. uh, one, I guess one last question. Um, do, you, do, you see, do you see this program as having been a success so far? Yes, absolutely. It's been a home run for us. We're proud of the product execution. We're proud of how we've changed the way we work uh, as an organization, and I'm really proud of how we've leveraged this to change the, the business model for us. All right, Altai Tang, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Sam. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.